I read an, our, our newspaper article recently that was titled, America is facing five epic crises all at the same time. The coronavirus, the racial tensions, the political realignment that's happening in our country, the social justice movement, and an economic depression. It also cited in this article a study from the University of Chicago about happiness and it said that Americans are now less happy than they have been at any time since they've been measuring happiness over the last 50 years. Now as Christians, members of uh, the body of Christ, we're not exempt from these crises. But we ought to be able to have a different response to them because of the Christ that is within us. The, this morning we're looking at uh, a psalm where we have been for the last many weeks in the, in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 13. And I want to read Psalm 13. It's a psalm of David. And I think it offers for us, these short six verses, a model for prayer uh, for such a time as this. So if you have a copy of the Bible, open it up or turn it on to Psalm 13. Follow along as I read this psalm in a message titled, A Cry for Help. Psalm 13 verse 1 says this, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Four times in just the opening two verses of this um, prayer of this psalm, of this cry for help. The writer David says, how long? He starts this psalm with four questions that say, how long, Lord? How long, Lord? But these questions are rhetorical questions, right? David's not looking for information from God. He's looking for help. And you know, the word uh, remember, the idea of remembering in the scriptures is a very, it's the, the Hebrew word underlying the word remember is zakar. And it has a very distinct meaning when it's referenced, when it's referring to God in the scriptures. When God remembers us or when we call out and ask God as David is doing here to remember him, it's not just that God brings something to mind. He's remembering our name. He's remembering, you know, who we are. For God to remember means he acts on our behalf. And when he forgets us, as David is, is wondering, it means he does not act on our behalf. The, the, for example, Genesis chapter 1, after Noah, if you know that story, was, was you know, out at sea for 150 days, Genesis 8 says, and God remembered Noah, okay? And he sent a wind so that the waters would recede. Uh, uh, the, 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 the patriarch uh, Jacob, one of his wives, Rachel, who was grieving and, and anxious and burdened because she was barren. It says Genesis 30, 22. And then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and he enabled her to conceive. That's what the psalmist is doing here, right? This is what David is doing. He's saying, listen, God, I want you to remember me. 
I am, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts, right? Maybe some of you are thinking about that or thinking that today. How long must I day after day have sorrow in my heart? When are you going to remember me? When are you going to take action on my behalf and move in my life? First and foremost, what we learn from this prayer, okay, What do we learn about prayer in this moment? It's an appeal, Psalm 13, to relationship, right? This is an appeal to relationship. He says in verse three, look, answer me, Lord, my God. David is not appealing to, you know, a a, a piece of stone, a block of wood. He's appealing to his God. And what I wanna say to you this morning, what we can learn from this prayer is, If you need help, you need to pursue your relationship with God in this season more. You know, it amazes me, continues to amaze me as I talk to people you know, all the time, Christians and non-Christians, and, and, and about this season in their life or even not this season, just difficult times in their life. And when difficulty happens, they often, that's the reason they're moving away from God instead of towards God. And it seems strange to me, if ever I want to move towards God, it's in a time of need, it's in a time of crisis. But if it's your inclination, if it's my inclination to move away from God, it's going to say something about the, the nature and the quality of my relationship. God is not an absent parent. He's a loving father. And you and I have the opportunity and should use this opportunity to go after him, not move away from him. David speaks with amazing candor in these opening verses. Very frank. You don't speak this frankly with someone that you don't know. How long will you forget me? I'm anxious. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and be in sorrow in my heart day after day? You don't do that. You don't speak that way with somebody that you don't know very well. I I saw a story um, recently, just in the last week or two, about this um, phenomenon that was happening uh, in the Upper West Side in New York City. It's happening here too. But all these stores, the ones that didn't close grocery stores, there's a Trader Joe's up there on the Upper West Side. And people were so anxious and desiring to get to Trader Joe's that they would stand up in line because of the social distancing for, you know, half a mile around the uh, store. And they were standing there in front of these, you know, these brownstones up there where at five, six, seven in the morning, morning and while they were waiting day after day people were having intimate conversations on their cell phone and the people that lived there of course were hearing those conversations and they they gently the article said you know said hey gay what gifts can you guys keep it down we're we have a we have kids here we're living our lives here but people continued as they uh, were just talking and having their conversations. So these, you know, uh, you know uh, uh, creative neighbors decided to make a point and they, they listened to some of these conversations and they, they put some of them on placards, on poster boards, and they placed them outside of their window. The first one, it was in the article, said, Chad, this is one of the conversations, we're sorry your wife is leaving you, but is this really the place to discuss it? Okay, And, you know, that's really what, you're seeing happening here. You, you don't discuss intimate things with strangers. You do it with somebody you know, someone who knows you. And that's what David is doing here. I wouldn't walk into your home 
uh, and have a frank conversation with your wife about the, about the struggles of my heart, about the sorrows in my life. I wouldn't do that with your husband. I wouldn't do that with your mom or your dad or your best friend. This kind of conversation implies a certain um, um, intimacy, right? I wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that. You know, 70% of the Psalms are laments. And you've probably heard me say that, or maybe you knew that in this study of the book of Psalms. What is a lament? It's a passionate expression of grief. Now think about that. The Psalms were the prayer book of Israel. They were the song book of Israel. What does it say about a community where 70% of their prayers are about passionate expressions of grief? 70% of their song book is passionate expression of grief you say why is that rob and i'll tell you why that is right it's because the bible takes suffering seriously that's why it is it's not because god wants us to suffer it's because god knows that we suffer the bible takes suffering seriously and you and i should take suffering seriously because it's a part a big part of life for all of us okay Maybe, you know, let me say this. How you handle suffering, how I handle suffering will tell you something about who you are. How we as a community handle suffering as a church will tell us something about who we are. How we are handling or not handling suffering as a, as a larger society will tell us something about who we are. Maybe the reason that we are, as a culture, maybe, as a society, have ex are experiencing so much unhappiness is because we don't know how to suffer well, okay? That's the point of the Psalms. Tim Keller, in his book, the author and pastor on suffering, said this, the world is too fallen and deeply broken to divide into a neat pattern of good people having good lives and bad people having bad lives. What's the point? All of us, all of us are going to have bad lives at one time or another to one degree or another. And David is in a great example of this, but David is willing to go after his God, to deepen his relationship with God. Look on me, right? Answer me, Lord my God. And the word used to open this psalm, who is David's God, right? Who is your God? How long, Lord, uh, Psalm 13, verse 1, capital L-O-R-D, is a very important word in the Old Testament scriptures as well as in the Psalms. The, when you see capital L-O-R-D, it's the personal name of God, right? There are many names for God in the scriptures. In other words, many words that are translated God or Lord. And sometimes you might say it's the generic name of God earlier in the scriptures, right? It's kind of like you and I would use that, you know, someone would say, God bless America, right? When people say, God bless America, it's a very common way of saying it. It rolls off the tongue. It happens in, in everyday ways. It, it often doesn't mean that the person saying it is saying it as some kind of statement of faith. They're not talking about some God that they know in an intimate way. It's just a, it's just a casual way of using the name, right? But the word L-O-R-D here 
is reflecting an underlying word in Hebrew. It's the name Yahweh. Many of you have heard this. And it's the personal name of God. It's when God is ready to reveal himself, to disclose himself, which he does. The most famous example is in Exodus 3 when Moses is at the burning bush and Moses says, who is this God? Who is behind this burning bush? And he says, I'll tell you who I am. I'm gonna reveal myself to you. I'm gonna give you my personal name right? I am who I am. I am the self-existent one. That's what he's saying. I am who I am. And Moses realized, David realized, anyone who comes to know God in a personal way comes to realize that all other existence depends on his existence. And David is cashing in on this in this moment, right? He's he's not saying, God bless America. He's saying, this is my God. This is my Lord, and I need your help. Look, listen, give light to my eyes or I'm gonna sleep uh, the sleep of death. When I was a um, graduate student years ago, um, I worked for a few years for the Dallas Mavericks, which is a professional basketball team, still is. And I was in a small crew of people that worked in the television part of the um, business. And uh, I, uh, because I worked with the handful of people in television, the cameramen, the, the people calling the game, I had, a, I had an all-access pass. It was the same pass that those, uh, even the people calling the game had. And because I had that all-access pass... I could go and do what those uh, handful of people uh, did and, and go where they went. And I didn't go to the front of the stadium and wait in line, right? I went to the back door where the players came. And if I wanted to, when I was asked to, I'd go right into the locker room while they were getting ready uh, for the game and grab someone for an interview. I'd go into the, into the small private dining room where they'd be sitting with their wives in, in fur coats before the games or the press room. And I would sit on the floor, Right? right on the edge of the floor, five, 10 feet from in my day anyway, you know, the great players, you know, uh, Charles Barkley, Michael Jordan, Sean Kemp, etc. I had that kind of access, not because anybody knew who I was, but because of the all access pass that was around my neck. See, David had one of these and he's using it right here in this moment. This brings with it, my Lord, my God, both the possibility and the promise of prayer. Let me say something to everyone listening to me today. If you're a Christian, like I am, I think many of you are, if you know Christ is your Savior, you have never asked God for anything, not one thing that you actually deserved from Him, right? Nothing. And the more that you know that, in the deepest part of your heart, the more bold you will be in asking God for what you need, even in this day that we're living in right now. Let me say this. I'm thrilled, as as, uh, Colin said a few minutes ago, uh, and others, to be in this room today. And um, it's, it's been four months, and I'm so excited to be here. But you know, the people who have had the hardest time, as I've talked to some of you over these last four months, in this absence, in this, in this shutdown, so to speak, and not being together as a congregation, are people for whom the Sunday morning service was their main spiritual meal, okay? We're gonna all get back here, I hope, in the days to come. 
But use this challenge as an opportunity because what I want to affirm to you this morning is you don't need to be here to connect with God. You don't need to be in here to have meaningful connections with others. You don't need to be in this room to get your needs, the deepest needs that you have met by God. David wasn't in church when he penned the 13th Psalm, okay? We need to begin, this prayer tells us, by pursuing our relationship with God. This is the time for us to go after him. Second, this prayer tells us maybe the most important thing I wanna say to you this morning is you need to persist in your asking. Persist in your faith. Let me say this to you as your pastor. I have, I have no idea, okay, very very um, transparent with you I have no idea what God is doing in all these crises that I mentioned what is God doing in the coronavirus and I know a lot of people talk about it and write about it in the in the you know the general media or even in Christian uh, media but let me say this anyone who tells you what God is up to in these crises is at best naive and at worst they're pretending because God's ways are not our ways God doesn't think the way you think. He doesn't think the way that I think. And, you know, we don't even know what the, whether, if we don't even know the future of the coronavirus, right? We don't know the future of the weather. How could we possibly know with any certainty what God is doing? None of us know that, right? We have to find a way to pray in the midst of this kind of um, unknowing. But let me say this. I do believe with absolute confidence that God is involved in these crises not because I have special knowledge but because I have special revelation this is the God of the scriptures your God my God in other words, uh, Acts 17 in him in him we live and move and have our being right God is intimately involved David the guy who wrote the 13th Psalm wrote the 139th Psalm. You know when I sit down and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar, you discern my thoughts. David understood, although he couldn't divine, he didn't understand the circumstances in his life, he didn't understand the trouble, it's not even mentioned in this Psalm. He, he knew this about his God, my God, about the Lord, right? He knew that God was intimately involved in his life and he prays a very bold prayer, right? Look, at me, answer me, right? Look upon me, God, answer me, and give light, which is kind of an, an idea, a metaphor for power. Give light to my life, to my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. But here's what David also knew, right? This is so important for us in this moment. David understood that God worked on his timetable not David's, okay? Because God's doing things that you and I don't know. If you're God's child, let me say something. He loves you and he wants to meet the needs and the cries of your heart. But it's on his timetable, not yours and not mine, which is why we need to learn to suffer well. I have this friend of mine, we were talking about this passage and he has this rule with his, he's got three young kids and he said, listen, I tell my kids they can ask me anything they want, right? Anything they want they can ask me but I may not answer them, he said, until I know they're ready 
for the responsibility of my answer. I think that's what God says to you and to me, right? And that's why we need to learn to suffer and persist in our prayers, persist in our faith, persist in our asking, even when it seems like God is not listening. A thousand years later from this passage, Jesus Christ will say the same thing to his disciples, Matthew chapter seven. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Now, what's he saying in those verses? The emphasis on these verses is not that God's going to answer your question right away. Ask, seek, knock. The emphasis on these verses is you need to persist, okay? Which of you, now watch the rest of the passage, he's going to highlight the relationship. If your son asks for bread, not your stranger, not some, you know, a uh, 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 person on the street, someone that you don't know. If your son asked for bread, would give him a stone. Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, relatively speaking, know how to give good gifts to your children, all of you, if you have kids listening to me, you, you want to give your kids good things. It's, it's, it's second, it's, it's instinctive. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? In other words, it's worth the wait, persistence, because God knows you and he loves you and he knows what you need. I want to ask you just two questions that I want you to take with you, okay, uh, on this sermon, on this Sunday as we think about the 13th Psalm, as we think about a cry for help and what it means to pray uh, in such a time as this. The first one is this. What have you learned about true happiness, what brings true happiness in the last 100 days? What have I learned as I've lost one thing after another, as one door or thing has been shut down after another? What have you learned about what brings about true happiness in the last 100 days, okay? Think about that. Uh, write it down. Put some thought to it. Second thing, what truly good gift do you need, back to the words of Jesus, in the moment that you're living right now? What truly good gift do you need in the moment that you're living right now? Maybe it's a greater measure of his peace, okay? You think, well, as a Christian, do I need to pray for peace? Yes, you do, right? God's peace is available. It's given to you and me when I become a Christian, but I want to experience it in greater measure. A peace that passes understanding, that transcends my circumstances, whatever they might be. So maybe what the good gift that you need is a greater measure of his peace. Maybe it's a greater experience of his love. You say, well, Rob, I thought God loves all people the same. His love is, is uniform. It's, it's, full. it's true. He loves you as much in your worst day as on your best, but it's a greater experience of his love. Is what you, maybe that's the good gift that you need. Open your heart for a greater experience. Maybe you need today a greater sense of hope for your life in this season, a greater hope experience of hope in your marriage in this season, a greater sense of hope um, for your future 
my encouragement is make this simple prayer your own. Look on me, my God. Answer me, right? Remember me and give light to my eyes. We need to pursue our relationship with God. These crises ought to drive us towards God in a, in, in, a, in, a, in a courageous way, not away from him. Second, we need to persist. Remember the words of Jesus. Persist in your faith because nobody knows what God is doing, not only in the world, but in your life. As you and I get closer, drive ourselves deeper into what is truly uh, the source of happiness and joy in this life, right? As, as one door is closed after another in this season. And last, this psalm ends, verse five and verse six, with a decision to trust. A decision to trust. There are three declarations, just very quickly, and I'm done. In verse five and six, first person declarations by the psalmist. Verse five, there's two, and verse six, there's one. And the first one, though, is the key. I have trust in your unfailing love. It's a present perfect verb. Those of you know these verbs. And what it means is this. It's a, it's a completed action that has continuing effects and results into the future. What he's saying is, listen, I've come to a place. As far as we know, none of David's circumstances have changed in the, in the writing and the praying of this prayer. But he said, listen, I've come to a place where I've realized that maybe what I've been trusting and what I've been listening to, where I've been you know, uh, uh, taking my cue from, where I've been spending some of my best energies, whatever that might be, where I've, my, 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 my feed, whatever that feed might be, it's been bringing me anxiety. It's been bringing me you know, wrestling with my thoughts and it's one sorrow after another. I've decided I'm going to trust, Right? I'm making a shift. First, the next verse, or the second part of verse five talks about his heart. I'm gonna shift and I'm gonna make a trust. I'm gonna plant a flag in the unfailing love of God. Those are code words in the Bible and they go connected to L-O-R-D. They're connected to my God is the great revelation. He's a God who loves you. He's a God who's full of compassion and grace and he cares about you as a loving heavenly father. David says, I'm gonna put my stake there right? Present perfect verb. And the next two verbs, my heart rejoices and I will sing, they're present future verbs. And what they're saying is, this is what's going to happen in my life because I've decided to trust in his unfailing love. As a result of that decision, my heart Rejoices. See, this real problem, back in verse two, David's not praying for a, 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 an increase in his pay or you know, a, a new place to live. He has a heart problem. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Day after day have sorrow. Wait for it in my heart. He has a heart problem. In the heart problem, right, that this crisis has brought in his life, I think has brought in many of ours, is not solved through some kind of external circumstantial change the good gift that God wants to give you is his love and David says I'm going to trust I'm going to reset my heart I'm going to have a reorientation I've been distracted by these crises I've been thrown off course I don't know how to suffer well and I'm going to I'm going to plant my flag in the 
unfailing love of God. And as a result, his heart rejoices. And he says, I can't, it's not yet, but future tense, I will sing. My heart has joy and I will sing. That day is coming. Maybe even our day is coming here. I will sing of the Lord's praise because he has been good to me. So friends, Psalm 13, a cry for help. Pursue your relationship with God. Go after him in this season. You take, take advantage of all these doors that have been shut. Maybe some of them um, um, didn't need to be opened or wasted time that we, where we spend our lives, waste our time sometimes, superficial uh, pursuits, and pursue your relationship with God. Persist in your faith and decide to trust. Pray with me uh, this morning as we close. God and Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. I thank you for the privilege of knowing you and Lord of of having a living relationship with you. I can say like David did, Lord, my God, uh, my God. Lord, I pray for all of us this morning, listening wherever we are, that we might model, uh, use this prayer as a model in our own lives, that we might use this time to learn how to channel our anxieties and our fears, our sorrows, into deeper into our relationship with you that we might persist Lord in our asking in our faith we might be open and wait until Lord we have are ready for the responsibility of your answer and that we might today decide to trust in your unfailing love in a way that we haven't before be with us Lord as a as a church, be with us as a community, be with us in this world, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.